0: Father, as we come to your word, we pray you would honor your word today. Let it open our eyes and our hearts to receive this message. Help us to fully understand that all things are possible to them that believe and that we indeed can be more than conquerors through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title for my message today is "The Good Old Days." <laughs> Have you ever noticed how much someone can talk about the good old days? How fondly they remember the way it was back then. I was very privileged a few years ago to be uh, involved with the um, with the elderly house group. I use "elderly" inverted commas there. And I have heard lots of stories about the good old days. So much they had to tell. I listened to Brenda and Betty telling me about how they kept warm in the wintertime when there was no heating and how they had these little bricks that stood by the fireplace and at night time, you know, they would all dive in and, and, and they all tried to get the one that was the warmest so that would keep them warm in bed at night and the good old days. And really, no matter how grand or how horrific the eventually was, they always seem to apply that phrase, the good old days. We didn't have heat. We didn't have running water back then. But we were happy. God was doing things back then. And sometimes you listen to people talk about the good old days and... They talk in a tone that would suggest it's not possible to experience those good times again. They are gone forever. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we think, hmm, I don't think God will ever perform those miracles again. He will never do the things that he used to. But this morning, I believe God wants to remind us that this is not so. The scripture clearly tells us, and you know the song we just sang declares that there's no shadow or variation of turning in God. This simply means that if God did it back then, then he'll do it again. If he healed back then, he'll heal again. If he moved mountains back then, he'll move mountains again. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that simply means he doesn't change. He's the same God, and he will do it again. Usually, I find when people talk about the good old old days, sometimes the details are a little bit fuzzy, aided by poor memory. Ask me how I know. But if you look at Gideon, In Judges 6, everything that is described here is clear and is absolute truth. Everything that Gideon's fathers and forefathers went through was far greater than what Gideon was experiencing. And it was indeed much brighter than anything the future held for him. As I was studying this bit of scripture, I remember that Gideon was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And I went and had a look at it. And it says, Gideon, in fact, Gideon is numbered with all the conquerors. He's listed with people like Samuel, Samson, and King David. But when we read about him in Judges 6, he is a wimp. He is hiding behind a winepress and complaining about the good old days. He says to the angel, If the Lord is with us, then where are all those miracles that our fathers told us about? Where is the God who parted the Red Sea? Where are all the blessings that we were hearing so much about? (laughs) If the Lord is with us, where is this gracious promised land? that God promised we would live in. That's what Gideon wants to know. He's not a conqueror. No, Gideon is a coward in Judges 6. What does God say to him? The promised land that you are describing, Gideon, is the promised land that Joshua walked in. And indeed, it was a blessed land. But the promised land that you are living in at the moment, Gideon, is under a curse. And why? You see, God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God said to them, If you obey my voice, if you heed my commandments, then I will command the blessings to come upon you. You will be blessed in the morning. you will blessed in your coming in and your going out. In the, blessed in the fields, blessed in the city. Your children will be blessed. Your grandchildren will be blessed. And that sounds great. We love that bit, don't we? We love to be blessed. But then we come to verse 15. What does God say? If you do not heed my voice, if you do not keep my commandments, if you worship those false gods that they have on the other side of the river, then all of these curses will come upon you and will overtake you. Your enemies will inhabit your land. The God who helped you at Jericho will help you no longer. You won't have enough to eat and what you have will be stolen from you. Everything you set your hand on will be destroyed because you have forsaken me. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying Malachi with Simon leading us. And we've seen on so many occasions, the people said, why has God treated us like this? Why has God turned his face from us? And the answer, because you have forsaken me. You've robbed me of my tithes and offering. You have worshipped false gods. You've put other things in my place. Notice that they forsook God. God did not forsake them. And I think this is one of the main points of this story. And it's important that we acknowledge that. And God allowed a thing to come to pass that he promised would come to pass. Why? If you don't obey my commands, I will not bless you. And you think, why? Isn't God a loving God? Why? But God is a man of his word. If he says it will happen, then it will happen. You know, sometimes we think that because God is love, he will turn a blind eye and tolerate everything and anything that his children does. do sorry, because he loves us so much. But the scriptures do not tell us so. You know, God's love is fierce in its totality. It is not unconditional in the way we would like to think. Often in scripture we read, God says, if you do this, I'll do that we have a part to play. If you get together and call on my name and ask anything, I will do it. If you confess your sins, I will forgive you. If you do this, I will do that. God's love and God's favor is not unconditional all the time. We have a part to play. You see, God is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Lord of all, or not Lord at all. And so we see Gideon and his fathers, and his forefathers have built these altars. And they have erected these Asherah poles, where they bowed and prayed three times a day. Although, in Deuteronomy 16, 21, God told them not to erect the Asherah pole and not to worship the gods, these false gods. The Lord specifically told them, I hate this and don't do it. And yet, in Judges 6, what do we read? It's exactly what they did. This is why the Midianite army was invading and they were giving them a hard time Every time there was a harvest, every time there was a, the crop yielded food, the Midianites came and they stole it. People were living in caves for fear of their lives. And they're wondering, where is God? Why has God left us? You know, this is the God we read about. Uh, he did so many, one, he parted the Red Sea. He brought our forefathers out of Egypt. He led them to a promised land. To me, promise suggests great things and blessings, but we are not having any blessings. We're not even having enough food to eat because the Midianites are stealing everything from us. Gideon was one of these people. And you see, the first striking point of this story is one. Gideon had lost all hope. Now he thinks to himself, who am I? I'm one man against this whole army. And I'm so busy trying to stay alive today that there's just no way I can make a plan for tomorrow. Things will never change. And you know, many of us this morning could identify with Gideon. Sometimes life circumstances have us so totally overwhelmed. And we think to ourselves, there's no way things will ever change. There's no way I'll ever get my health back. There's no way I'll get my marriage back. There's no way I'll get my children back. And just like Gideon, we've lost all hope. And we've forgotten who God used to be in the past. We forgot how he gave children to barren women when it seemed so impossible. Sarah was how, how old? Too old how he closed up the mounts of lions, how he brought down the walls of Jericho, how he healed the lame, the blind. He even brought the dead back to life. Sometimes we forget what God said or what's in the word of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And the second striking point of this story is God calls those things that are not as though they are. I'll say that again. God calls those things that are not as though so they are. You see, if you read the dialogue between the angel and, and the, of the Lord and Gideon, it's rather funny. The angel appeared for the first time and he says, The Lord is with you, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And I could just imagine when God gave the angel this message to take down to Gideon, they were probably laughing and chuckling. You mean he means Gideon? Really? Because you see, Gideon was everything except a mighty man of valor. He was anything but a mighty man of valor. He just isn't so. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Who ever heard of anything so silly? See, a lot of people will skip over that because it doesn't seem important, but that's what it's all about. You see, the process for making flour is first of all, you harvest the field, then you, this is by hand, of course, you beat the wheat and you remove it from the stalk. Then you take it up to the mountain top, and there you scrunch it all up together so it separates the chaff, that's the outer shell, from the seed. And you go up to the mountain top and you throw it up in the air. And as you do that, because the wind is so powerful, it will blow the chaff away and all the seed falls to the ground. Then you gather up your seed and you take it home and you process it into flour. And then you make your little scones and whatever else you fancy. But Gideon was afraid to go to the hilltop. He was afraid to process the wheat in the right way what was he doing he was processing it in a wine press why because he thinks the midianites won't think i am dumb enough to thresh wheat in this wine press he's hiding from them if they don't know what i'm doing they can't come and steal my wheat they can't come and take what's mine so he's down there in the wine press, he's grinding everything up stalks, leaves, chaff, seeds, and all, everything. And what is he doing? He's producing a product that's not even worth eating. But he's just getting by, making enough wheat so he could probably get one slice of bread for today, and then I'll worry about tomorrow because he's afraid to go to the mountaintop. If he goes to the mountaintop, the Midianites will see him and they'll know what he's doing and they'll come and take his wheat away. So he was not a mighty man of valor. Gideon was a coward. He was hiding. You see, his physical situation was reflecting his spiritual one. He believed that God had forsaken them because why were the Midianites treating them like this as we as barbara read to us earlier we heard they were hiding in caves everything they had was being taken away from them and sometimes we are like that well i don't know about you but i am when i think god has forsaken me i think i've got to get in there and do it myself i'm going to do it my way it doesn't matter what i get as long as i get on See, Gideon was getting minimum returns for maximum effort. But God said to Gideon, I'm going to turn things around for you. That's why he sent the angel to talk to Gideon. He says, I want you to get maximum results with minimum effort. But you have to do it my way, not your way. You see, Gideon and all the Israelites had forgotten the divine equation, sometimes like we do. And the divine equation is, obey my commandments equals I will bless you. Obey my commandments equals I will bless you. That is the divine equation. We don't obey God's commandments. He'll take his hand off us. The scriptures say that. Know, know, what God's way is for us. And you say to yourself, but we don't worship false gods. You know, we are good English, good English Christians. We don't build altars and and worship gods. And you know, so angels don't appear to us and tell us these things, how are we to know what God's word is? Simon has been going through Malachi with us and teaching us what is God's will for us, what God's, God wants from us and he addressed many things marriage, tithes and offering and, and different you know ways in which we are to please God. But, you know, God sees Gideon, or God sees what Gideon can become. God knew how to get the most out of Gideon. He had to reinvent his identity. And just as God gave Gideon a new identity, he wants to recreate some of us. He looks at the sick and he calls us well, healed. He looks at the brokenhearted and he calls us restored. He sees the fearful and he calls them conquerors. I am with you always. No matter what you're going through, I am with you. All things are possible. Not enough becomes enough. But you know, we have to obey. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, for instance, tells us how we are to live. With each other, you know. When you look at the Ten Commandments, eighty percent, ninety percent of it is relational. Very, very little is about relationship with God, but the rest is how do we treat each other, how do we treat our wives and our husbands, you know. And I learned something this week. You know, you know, women, and uh, you know, talking to you woman to woman, you know how sometimes when you've been asking your husband to do something and he just won't do it. And, and you say, lazy bones, I've been asking you to change that light bulb for two weeks now. You know, if my dad was here, I wouldn't have to do that. I, he would come and do it for me. And, and you know, we, sometimes, you know, we say things. And I looked at the scriptures in Ephesians, and it says, women, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And that involves speech as well. And you know, sometimes us women, when we get together, we say, oh, Lord, you are awesome, you are magnificent, you are so great and powerful, and you are wonderful. And, you know, we praise him up so much. And the scripture says, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And I think I'll try this. So when Graham walks through the door, I said, almighty oh, one. <laughs> Remember that, uh, that bulb you were, you were planning to, uh, that I asked you to do a few days ago? Would you, would you be, you know, and, and I use the sort of phrases that I would use as if I'm speaking to God. And you know what? It got done. And you know, I read further on, you in know, the, in the Scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how often do we forget that? As Christ loved the church, showed her, told her, showed her, told her. So you men are not getting away as well. But you know, women... We have to be, be. We have to remember what the scriptures say. How do we act to our children? How do we act to our husband? Husbands, submit us unto the Lord. You know, Simon was talking a couple of weeks ago about um, tithes and offerings, and that really sent a message home straight to me. When, and I remember this situation with my dad. You know, my dad became a Christian when he was 18 years old. During the good old days when the Salvation Army used to have meetings on the corners of streets, and he he fell hopelessly in love with Jesus when he heard the gospel, and he became a Christian at 18. At 24, he went into the ministry to become a minister. And when he started studying God's word and he learned about tithes and offering, he went back from the very first day he was paid and worked out all the money he owed God till he was 24. And he paid it all back, every penny. And I thought, wow, what a testimony. What a legacy he left. I didn't even know this until about 15 years ago when I I read it in a book. One of the missionaries had written a book about him and I did not even know this. But I'll tell you something. All through our lives, my dad went to be with God, called him home to to heaven when I was 13. But never one day in our lives, six children, did we ever, were we ever in want. God provided for us He blessed my parents and the children and the grandchildren, just like he said he would. The blessings go on and on and on. You know, a few years ago, I had, you know, God convicted me of that, and I felt so ashamed because I realized I wasn't giving my right tithes and offering. And I sobbed for most of the day because I remembered the legacy my dad left. But God very gently nudged me and said, hey, come on, I want you to check your income and check what you're giving me because I don't think it's quite right. And actually it wasn't. And I felt so ashamed, but I pulled my socks up, I forgot the past and I went on. And I'm to say, thank God, you know, if you obey my commandments, I will bless you. It is true. See, the scriptures are there to tell us how we are to live with one another and with God. God wants to recreate some of us. You know, but he doesn't, he didn't go to, uh, he didn't send the angel to, to Gideon and say, you lazy coward, you know, what are you doing? He said, you mighty man of valor. He called those things that are not as though they were and isn't that lovely that we talk to one another when we share we see the things that we want to be to happen just like God sees what we can be what he wants us to be but God all things are possible and if we do our part God will bless us and you know, sometimes say but that person isn't doing their part so I'm not going to bother well, he didn't do what he wanted he was supposed to do and she didn't do what she was supposed to do so why should i bother but if we do our part god will bless us obey my commandments and i will bless you and god says to gideon there's three things i want you to learn there's three things i want to ask you to do for me i'm going to do this way from now on you won't have to hide in the wine press anymore to process your way. I'm going to take over, but I want you to do three things. See, Gideon had no faith, so God had to work on his faith to strengthen it. And the first thing I want you to do is to confront your past. I want you to go to this altar that you've built with Baal and using the Asherah poles, and I want you to destroy it. I want you to tear it down. And I want you to take those poles that you you erected, which I told you not to, and I want you to burn it in an offering to me. Use it as wood to offer up to me a burnt offering. For years you have prayed to this worthless God. But today I want to show you where true power comes from. And you know, sometimes we put our faith... In things of this earth that gives us no joy, that gives us no satisfaction. Where are we putting out maximum effort and getting minimum returns? So Gideon, so Gideon does that. Tears down the altar. Still very sheepishly, because he does it at night. He doesn't want to do it in the day in case he gets seen, But he does it nevertheless. God sees the offering. The scriptures tell us if you read the story this afternoon when you get home, read the rest of the story, you'll see. Gideon does it. God was pleased. The second thing that God said to Gideon is, I want you to learn to listen to me. (laughs) It's a hard one, isn't it? Learn to listen to God. It's not easy. I want you to go and form an army. So Gideon did. And guess what? It was 32,000 people joined up to Gideon's army. Wow. And God said to Gideon, "Uh uh-uh, that army's too big. It's too big for what I want to do. So God said, ask the men if they're afraid. And if anybody puts their hand up, Tell him to go home. It's okay. So Gideon did that. And guess what? 22,000 men put their hands up. So they left. Gideon said, that's quite all right. You're allowed to go. So that left 10,000 men. Then God said, that's still too big an army. Because if you go in there with 10,000 men, you know, and you defeat the Midianites, people are going to say it was you that did it. And I want them to know it is me who's doing it. So God said, I'll tell you what, take your 10,000 men down to the river and ask them to take a drink. And I want you to observe how they drink. So they went down to the river. 9,700 men, you know, got down on their knees, and they cupped the water in their hands, and they drank, you know, properly. 300 stood on the other side, and they bent over, and they lapped, the scriptures say, they lapped the water up like dogs. So, you know, if you can picture the scene, they quickly lapped the water up as they drank. And God said, ha-ha, those are the 300 men I want. Send the 9,700 away. See, these 300 men never, never got down on their knees because they were alert and they were ready for action. So God said to Gideon, send those 9,000 away and keep 300. I want you to move in to the Midianite army with 300 men. And Gideon probably thought, huh, I hope God knows what he's doing because I sure don't. 300 men from 32,000 but you know what it was then that Gideon realized what the Bible said every battle belongs to the Lord the victory is his this is not our fight God has already won the victory and our work is just to receive that victory And the last point I want to make about this is that the Lord said to Gideon was, I want you to expect the unexpected. You see, Gideon knew that battles were fought with spears and swords and many men. But God said to him, no, the 300 men left, what I want you to do is divide them up into three I want you to give each man a jar in his left hand, and in it, I want you to put a torch. And in their right hand, I want them to hold a trumpet. And I want you to surround, go, go down to the valley, and surround the Midianites, just 300 of you. And when I give the word, I want you to blow your trumpet Throw the jar down on the ground so it smashes and, and hold your torches up and I'll do the rest. So that's what he did. And as he went down into the valley, got this sign from God, all the men blew the trumpets, which of course in those days was a ram's horn. But they went down when God told them to. And they went down when the Midianite army was fast asleep. they had all finished stealing and doing all the wrongs of the day and they lay comfortably in their beds at night, all contented, all complacent. And they lay there and the attack was a surprise. And as the men blew their trumpets, the Midianite army, the scriptures tell us, they all got up in confusion, in total confusion and they got so afraid because they thought, wow, what's happening? We're under attack. And the scriptures tells us they fled. They fled in confusion. They ran for their lives. And they left Israel forever. You see, what happened is they were taken by surprise. Surprise. The Midianites had got so complacent and so used to the Israelites not doing anything. They were confident that they would always be successful. They never for one minute thought the Israelites would fight back because Israel was so predictable. The Midianites knew they could take anything from the Israelites whenever they wanted and they would get no fight back because they were thinking, God had forsaken us. All the good days are gone, we might as well face up to it. We are hiding in caves and doing without. But this changed everything. You know, one thing, how does this apply to us, I thought? You know, the church today has become so complacent, hasn't it? You know, we're happy to talk about the good old days when God did this and God did that. But we have become so predictable, so complacent. And you may say, but we don't worship idols. Uh, We don't worship foreign gods. But you know, the sound by that we hear today is believe what you want, live how you want. We live in a world where nothing is really right or wrong. It's merely your judgment call against mine. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're good to your neighbors and you don't kick the cat or abuse your children and you give to charity and you tolerate any and every lifestyle. Love is all you need. We live in in a world where everything and anything goes. We have our own concept of God and what he requires of us. We rationalize everything. We bend the rules. We leave out the parts we think are too difficult. And it's sometimes the very subtle things that draw us away from God. Things like tradition or culture. C.S. Lewis writes, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turning, without milestone, without signposts so much is wrong with our world today and the church is silent predictably silent, we do nothing you know they've taken away teaching our children about God in schools and we do nothing we see all these crazy programs on computers and in the media and we do nothing we're just quiet so much like the Israelites predictably silent and we are the light of the world and we need to shout like gideon we need to act and god is not calling us you know weak and lazy and no courage and not conquerors god is saying to us burlington baptist church you mighty saints of valor in judges Gideon was a coward in Hebrews he was with the conquerors like David and Samson Samuel what happened in between God did and that's where we are this morning just to follow on a little bit from what Simon has been teaching us over the last few weeks you know we need to trust God just God him alone And I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercies follow me. Your goodness restores my soul.